Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're online where you can listen to us oh, any old time, uh, you know, with our library and our streaming audio at RadioNorthland.org. And we're available on TuneIn if you want to listen to it live and in the moment. So you can catch us live, you can catch us on Memorex, you can catch us, basically. Yeah, I'm not that... Uh, yeah, fleet of foot either. Uh, I'm Glenn Broggett, along with my co-host down there deep in the heart of Texas, uh, Mr. Mike Grizzled Vet McCurdy. And Mike, we uh, we're talking. You know, we always talk a little bit about the weather because you know, with you down there and me up here, we we like to uh, compare notes. You know, uh, I think today we we were talking. We were almost in similar boats, and uh, we probably need a boat for some of the rain that's been falling these days. Thunderstorms, flash flood warnings, and tornado watches. It's been a fun three days here in Texas, so. But it sounds like you're having the same problem there in Minnesota. Yeah, we had some really strong rain. We, uh, as we're recording today, it's uh, still rather drab and dark, and uh, I just want to get my my leaves uh, raked up and, and moved to the curb because the uh, the city people here come like every Monday for the next few Mondays with the big vacuum gimmick, and I got to get those get those leaves done. Heck, I got to get the rest of the leaves to fall from the tree. I got to go out and will those things to fall. It's you know, it, and then our grass is, hasn't been. It's the greenest it's been all se- you know, all season, and that's counting the summer. So it's just been a kind of a weird sort of a weather cycle. A little bit, a little bit. I wasn't expecting all the, you know, especially the tornado watch. That that kind of gave me the release because I haven't had to go through one of those yet. So mm-hmm. I've been here five years. I've not had a tornado or a tornado warning or even a touchdown nearby me. So close well, by other locations, but not where I'm at. Consider yourself I'm trying to keep it that way. Consider, yeah, consider <laughs> yourself quite lucky. Knock on wood or whatever uh, wood substitute you may have near you, because uh, yeah, it's it's nice not to worry about those things. But it's better just so we can sit and talk about pro wrestling, Mike. That's the thing. This is what we come to each and every week to, to commiserate and talk about r- some wrestling memories then and now. We always uh, remember the now because, boy, the wrestling uh, game is still very, very much an interesting one here as we're now moving into the fall months with big pay-per-views, uh, potential uh, you know, people still showing up in, in AEW. It's, it's a definitely a good time of year to uh, be a fan. Oh, definitely. Um, I'm looking forward to Friday, you know, going to have a little interpromotional war, I guess, a little AEW, a little WWE, but AEW has announced there's going to be a buy-in before Rampage on Friday, but by the time this show is aired, you know, it'll already be on, so I hope the fans enjoyed it, but I'm looking forward to watching Daniel Bryan and Minoru, or excuse me, Brian Danielson. It takes a while, Minoru it Suzuki. takes a while, you, you, we know where you're going. Yeah, that is going to be a definitely a great match uh, uh, to, to uh, have things open up and kind of uh, play a little ball with the WWE. Uh, is, this is the week, uh, what, the E is on uh, FS1, Fox Sports 1? Are they are on the because I think the baseball yes, week, as we record this yes they're on FS1 this week because the baseball so. starts up and I'm grateful to have uh, the Red Sox still in the hunt I, I'm happy it's kind of a pleasant surprise any victories they get in the playoffs I said right at the beginning when they were playing the Yankees I'm like anything they get is good I don't even I'm not even putting ahead the expectation of them moving any forward moving forward from the wild card so I'm excited I'm a baseball fan but I'm also a wrestling fan and we have a great guest uh, today Mike this is another one that uh, you've you've booked it's been a 100% main event and uh, this gentleman uh, I, I encourage people to uh, after the show if they're really even more curious after hearing his story to go look up what he's done in the podcast game go uh, look what he's done you know with pro wrestling and definitely uh, Read and listen and just really take in his story because this guy, I swear, you know, he talks about he's the king of effing recovery. Uh, that That is definitely uh, no truer words have been spoken. And we're going to hear a lot about his story today, Mike. And it's 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 one of, uh, you know, it's very inspiring, I have to say, because, man, this guy just keeps on ticking. It is an inspiring story, you know, and he just received the uh, Cauliflower LA Club Courage Award this year. So that's kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to bring him on. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, talking with him. And like I said last week, and, you know, no, nothing ill will towards the gentleman. But by all rhymes and reasons, we should not have him as a guest this week. And when our listeners kind of hear his story and what he's been through, they're going to understand why I say that. 
I'm glad that you put that out there uh, because it wasn't because he was going to try to stiff us for 50 bucks. Anyway, he's the man. He, no, he's, no. You know, we, we want to hear a lot about him because I want to hear about his podcasting. I want to hear about his, uh, you know, just his years of being a pro wrestling fan, too, along with his story, his inspiring story. So, hey, how about we stop yapping and welcome him in, Mr. Jim Valley, the king of recovery. Thank you for coming by and being a guest on Wrestling Memories. It is absolutely my pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, so just recently honored at the uh, 55th uh, annual Cauliflower Alley Club reunion out there in Las Vegas. Uh, man, what, what what was that like considering uh, the road that you have been on and, and what 2020 became and moved, morphed into 2021 to be there in, in person at the Gold Coast to accept your award and tell, we'll talk about, the, you can tell the people your award, the Courage Award. What was that? I mean, God, that had to have been something else. I mean, you're sitting there and you're getting, uh, you have the attention of, of guys that you probably watched on television or you've read about, but what is that like? What was that feeling to, to, to be on the ultimate comeback to have that award. It's almost like your end of the movie moment. You know, it's, um, well, the movie isn't over. I still got some more recovery to do. Uh, we can talk about that later. I mean, you can hear my voice isn't back yet and I'm going in for, for another surgery. So that'll be fine, but that's in a few months. But anyway, you know, the, the courage award was a, was a total surprise. Like I didn't know it was coming. And, you know, they gave out three of them, and the first night they gave one to another friend of yours, Stuart Kemp, who uh, mm-hmm. who had a stroke, unfortunately, at the last Cauliflower Alley reunion at the hotel. And, you know, he's recovering, and the fact that he was able to be there is, is yet another fantastic miracle in itself. So they, you know, they gave the first Courage Award to Stuart, and I was like, well, that's great. That's so, so deserving. And then they kind of went on and moved on with the ceremony. And then, then they kind of came over to my table and played a little a video about me. And I was just, I was so touched, and so stunned at the same time. It was, it was really, really nice. And, you know, the, the president of the Cauliflower Alley, president CEO is, is Brian Blair. And, you know, the, fa- the past few years, I've, I've hosted some seminars with various wrestlers and various people. And so, you know, I've worked with the Cauliflower Alley Club as a volunteer the past few years and gotten to know Brian. And I just have so much respect for Brian as a, as a businessman and, and a guy who's a stand-up guy. And, you know, when he says he's going to do something, he does it to the to the best of his ability and you know sometimes he's had to make some hard decisions that some people have have not liked and you know that's what I think good leaders have to do sometimes so to get it from someone not only that you watched growing up and you know so many people that are on the the committee that are on the the executive board like Ron Hutchison and uh, Barbara Goodish and other people that you know, you love and admire it. It really does mean a lot. Oh, 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 definitely. And you know, and Brian also. I mean, to not only uh, the stuff that he has done uh, for the Cauliflower Alley Club, but in the weeks leading up to the uh, to the reunion. I mean, he had to have a, a major surgery, and he was also dealing with the, the death of his son, the unfortunate uh, death yeah. of his son. I mean, that was a lot to carry on your shoulders. Uh, you know. Even, you know, not having something like this to uh, to undertake, but just to, to come in and, and, and be just, you know, the, the showman that he is and to be the class act, that, that had to be something, I mean, considering all that was weighing on his mind that night. Plus, his back was, was killing him. Um, oh. He was having trouble standing and walking, and, and uh, finally, you know, I don't know if I can, if I should tell the story, but I'm going to anyway. Um, the committee members, the executive board members are like, you know, they get um, scooters for people who need them mm-hmm. at the reunion in Las Vegas. And they're like, Brian, let's, let's rent you a scooter for the next few days. And, you know, those aren't a lot of money, not a big deal, not a big drain on the CAC funds, not a, you know, it's a very nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. 
And they're like, let's get you a scooter. And Brian's like, no, I don't want to be seen as using the funds or benefiting from the funds myself. And finally, somebody just went and used their own money to get a scooter and donated it. And so they finally convinced Brian to use that one. But that's just kind of the guy that Brian Blair is. He walks the walk and talks the talk. Now, back to this Courage Award, you had no idea, there was no any sort of inclination from the people you were with or around that uh, this this could be a possibility for you? Was it just something you just went in, like you said, you were just pleasantly surprised and overcome by this? Absolutely. No, I did, I did not know. And the great thing about it was uh, my wife is in the travel industry, and she had to come down to Las Vegas because she had a group coming down for uh, for an incentive trip right after Cauliflower Alley Club. Mm-hmm. And it was also our anniversary right before CAC. So we just decided to make a trip of it. Sure. And she came down with me. You know, she normally doesn't come down. Mm-hmm. So it was just by coincidence and sheer luck that she was there when this happened. And that made it so much better because, you know, you know, I've worked really hard to be able to be where I'm at from a physical standpoint. But, you know, when I was in the hospital and I was intubated and I was under, and, you know, I joke that I slept through a lot of this, you know, she was awake through all of it. And, you know, she had to, you know, talk with nurses, coordinate with doctors, um, and, you know, doctors and healthcare workers are very busy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very overworked. And, you know, sometimes, you know, not in an angry way, but sometimes you've got to advocate for your loved ones or advocate for yourself and, you know, bring things to their attention. So, you know, she did that. She also worked remotely from, you know, my ICU unit when she could, when they, when, when the, when the state allowed it, because there was a time toward the end, the last few months where the state, because of COVID restrictions, the state of Washington didn't allow any visitors. Mm -hmm. So while she was able to, she worked remotely from my ICU unit to watch over me. And, you know, really, as far as I'm concerned, that courage award was a tag team. Oh, 100%. I mean, what she, her support and, and, and this, the all out effort to help and, and, and to assist with you, that shows just what a strong bond that you have as husband and wife. I mean, this is such a, such a big thing. And again, you talk about it's a co award. I definitely uh, will have to agree with you on that. But going and having to endure all of this stuff, especially during the COVID, this, these COVID times, I mean, it really must have just put a whole new spin on, you you know, not only uh, you're dealing with this, but you're also having to deal with some of the, you know, you, you, the little obstacles that and the bigger obstacles that went with with the COVID. I mean, especially when it started to really blow up and things were starting to get more regular shut down and, and you, you know, you had to do with different rules and different regulations. But this was just uh, a little bit different from maybe uh, perhaps some of your hospitalizations prior to. Yeah. You know, hospitals are very cold and lonely places, um, you know, when, when I first was diagnosed with this autoimmune condition in 2012, you know, overnights were very difficult because, you know, there's nobody there and you're just kind of alone. But, you know, in the COVID era, when, and I understand, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. I understand why our governor did what he did, but it still was very lonely and difficult. And, um, you know, it's really hard. And one of the the greatest things was, you know, because of being a part of the the Wrestling Observer and the the Figure Four Empire, you know, I had, you know, thousands of people. It blew my mind when I, you know, I was innovated for several months, Mm -hmm. um, a couple of months while I was in the hospital. And, you know, when I woke up, 
in October. And, you know, I had thousands of people on social media wishing me well and, and just, you know, hey, Jim, you're doing great. We love you. You know, you're awesome. All these nice comments. You know, it's, it really keeps you going when you're alone in these, you know, cold and kind of, you know, gray hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's really, it made a huge difference in, in helping you get through it. Yeah. And to be able to just have all of that love come back at you too. I mean, it really, it really must've just felt extra gratifying to know just, you know, how good the pro wrestling community can be at times. I mean, as far as when it comes to the aid of someone who has fallen into, you know, someone who may have had a, a run of bad health or bad luck, it is comforting to know that there are some people out there that are in that community that uh, really do genuinely care. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I'm not Dave Meltzer. I'm not Brian Alvarez. You know, those guys are the, you know, I just kind of consider myself someone who did, you know, a second or, or third tiered show. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I was happy about that. I wasn't jealous or anything like that. I'm very grateful to be a part of the Observer. But, to, you know, I didn't realize that what I did got so much attention. And it was, it was really just kind of eye-opening. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect it, and I was so grateful to have it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and uh, how and and how much can communicate during that time? I know you were recovering and stuff, but you know, your your co-host, one of your co-hosts, uh, Fumi Saido. I mean, I follow him on, and he follows me on Facebook. He's a very interesting character. But but how was Fumi through this? I mean, he must have. I mean, he's the other guy that has just a, such a strong respect and love for the people around him and in the business. Yeah, Fumi's been great. He was very concerned you know he was always in contact with carrie you know he and i when i got sick in 2012 initially he was dealing with um cancer Mm -hmm. and he's a cancer survivor and so you know he and i you know kind of bonded over being in the hospital you know we were already close by then but um it kind of made us closer and you know he was always in contact with carrie and you know, in contact with me when I wasn't intubated. And when I got out of the hospital, uh, he he and I are both big marks for championship belts. I love championship Mm -hmm. belts. And he sent me this frame, this, you know, picture frame of all of these miniature classic all Japan championships so you've got the united national title and the international title and all the tag the all asian tag team titles all the tag team miniature versions of these belts all in one frame so cool and it was just like the the coolest present ever Oh man, that is the ultimate gift. That that's friendship, man. That that's love right there. Yeah. And uh, you know, also speaking of love, I mean, the wrestling community also there was well, you know, cuz a lot your hospitalizations aren't exactly the cheapest thing, and especially when you have long-term stuff, you uh, the wrestling community and and your friends, you know, not only in the ring but behind the scenes, the writers and all of that, you there there was a, an initiative that was took up to help you out. Uh and uh, GoFundMe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that because there was people that came out. I mean, we're talking some of the guys, the, the donors included uh, Chris Jericho. You had AEW owner Tony Khan, just for example. But I want to talk about that because it, there was another case of the pro wrestling community and the fans and every single layer of it coming together to help raise some money to get you through. Because, uh, I mean, hospital stays are just a mother of a mountain to get out of. You know, so far... Our insurance has been pretty good, knock on wood. Um, In 2012, we had insurance. And the key word there is had, because what I have was turned out to be a pre-existing condition, even though I didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. None of my doctors diagnosed it until 2012. Well, you know, we didn't have the ACA, the Obamacare, in 2012 and so my insurance ended up not covering any of it Mm -hmm. so we had to liquidate our retirements and our 401ks and refinance the house to pay for everything and that was you know we didn't lose our house you know we still have 
a little bit of savings, but things are not what they could be or what they should be at our age because of that. Even though it wasn't my fault per se, I still have a lot of guilt and sadness over it because of kind of what I put my family through. But, you know, yeah, I woke up from being innovated to discover that Josh Nason and other friends of ours put together the GoFundMe and it raised like $65,000, which is just insane to think about. I was so honored and so pleased. And, you know, we still have a lot of it left, but I mean, every month, you know, other, you know, a lot of things don't get covered, you know, certain deductibles. So, you know, it's definitely been a godsend to have, and I'm sure over time we'll, we'll use all of it for sure. Oh, absolutely. For medical expenses for, for different things. Cause you know, insurance doesn't cov- cover everything as, as is well known. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I'm going to bring Mr. Michael McCurdy into the conversation here on Rasslin' Memories uh, with our special guest, Mr. Jim Valley. And I know Mike has plenty of questions. So, Michael, I'm going to bring you right into the conversation. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, one thing I'd like to ask Jim, and this is for kind of the, uh, you know, sake of our listeners and all that. You know, we've talked about this. You know, you were in the hospital. You know, you had, we've called you. You're referred to as the king of recovery. And, and by the way, man, you know, Kudos, you know, glad to have you still here because, you know, I met you, oh, 2005, I think, Frank Culbertson, Portland Wrestling. That's when I first met you. So, But uh, for the listeners, can you give us kind of a little, like, encapsulation of exactly what you went through this past year, you know, in the hospital with everything? Kind of give us a little, you know, idea of exactly what happened. Yeah, so um, real quick, it really, it goes back to 2012. I was diagnosed I was coughing up blood the night of the Oscars and I thought it was just pneumonia. So I go to the doctor at my local clinic and um, the uh, nurse, the uh, physician's assistant after, after doing an x-ray hands me a mask and says, you need to get to the hospital. And I was living in a small town at the time. And so they ended up, sending me up to Olympia, uh, the capital of Washington, because that was the closest, larger city. And they had like a pulmonologist and other specialists up there they didn't have in the town where I was living. And I was diagnosed with a, uh, a, uh, um, an autoimmune disease called Wegner's vasculitis or, um, GPA it's now called. And, um, what it is, is it's inflammation of the blood vessel. And it starts in the lungs. And if you don't catch it soon enough, it spreads all over your vascular system. So it spreads to the heart and the kidneys and the liver and everywhere. Unfortunately, in 2012, it was caught. And so it only just stayed in my lungs. And in 2020, I got, you can hear my voice is still messed up. I got what I thought was laryngitis. And we went to a, an ear, nose, and throat doctor. And unfortunately, it was misdiagnosed as laryngitis. But actually, what it was was PJP pneumonia. And I was just kind of waiting. The doctor says, well, It'll clear up in a few weeks, maybe a few months. And so while we were waiting, unbeknownst to me, things were getting worse. And I was just feeling terrible. So finally, we went to the emergency room here locally at my hospital in Kirkland, Washington. And they diagnosed me with PJP pneumonia. And it was getting worse because it was, I was, they were like, you need to, Good thing you came in because you're going through congestive heart failure. And uh, so luckily we were in the hospital. And while I was in the hospital and intubated things, I caught shingles. So that happened, even in my eyes. 
and um, I was in ICU for quite a while, intubated. And then while I was on the road to recovery from that, my uh, in, the inflammation started up. My autoimmune disease kicked in again, and it came out of um, recovery, and it spread, and unfortunately, it spread like I was in rehab, doing physical rehab, but I was doing pretty well, and just a few days from coming home in like set in like November, and it flared up, and unfortunately, it flared up so quickly, we didn't catch it in time, and it spread to my heart, and my lungs, and my kidneys, and my liver, and everything went into failure, liver failure, kidney failure, uh, heart failure, lung failure, everything. And so between 2012 and 2020, I've almost died six times. When I was in the hospital recovering in December, I don't remember this, but when I was in late December, when I was more awake, more lucid, one of the nurses was looking at my charts, my medical charts, my records, and she kind of laughed. I was like, geez, what's so funny about all this? And apparently earlier in the year, I don't remember this, but one of the doctors told me that my recovery was very impressive. And apparently that's when I told him, well, of course, I'm the effing king of recovery. And my doctor wrote that in the records. So it's official. It's official in my medical records at the University of Washington Hospital. I am the effing king of recovery. I think that's a very well-deserved title, actually. Uh, yeah, like, you know, six times, I can't even imagine something like that. You know, and on top of that, like you said, you know, you're in the hospital, this is during COVID, you know, there's points in time your wife can't be there. And uh, so I can just, I can't even understand how she was feeling, you know, she's not there, you're alone in an ICU unit, you know, for her, you know, I mean, if you can speak for her, for her, you know, what was she trying to do just to kind of keep things going? And was the wrestling community kind of reaching out to her to help as well during all this? Like, like I said, I had like thousands of people on Twitter saying nice things about me. I've got, you know, I've got, I mean, it's not like the most or anything, don't get me wrong, but I've got, you know, a couple thousand friends or whatever on Facebook and everything. And she would joke to me when I woke up, she goes, you're really hard to manage. Uh, so, so she would have to put out messages to people on social media because a lot of people wanted to know she'd get a lot of private messages and things about stuff. So, yeah, she got, you know, a lot of messages and things. And, you know, it was so great to another person who donated was Tony Shabani, a guy who I met at the Charlotte Fan Fest a few years ago. You know, he and I did an onstage Q&A and Tony killed it. Don't get me wrong. He he was amazing. But it was Conrad Thompson who was in the audience and saw the whole thing. And that's kind of where he got the idea for the, the Tony Schiavone podcast. I always joke. It's not true. Don't get me wrong. But I always joke with Tony that I'm the one who revived his career. And we always joke about that. Don't get me wrong. I don't really think that it's just something funny to say in my mind, but um, he does, you know, he does a great job. So Tony donated, um, so many other people did. You know, when I, I was um, in rehab, physical rehab, and, you know, I go to Tokyo most every year to Wrestle Kingdom because of Fumi, and I came home from rehab and took a nap and woke up, and I was like, why are there so sponsors to this rehab tweet? I was like, what the hell? And it was Tony Khan. And Tony Khan responded, well, you look like you're already in shape for Daly's place. And uh, so we had already booked a trip to Florida 
we decided to go down to see AEW when it was at Daly's place. And Tony Khan and Chris Jericho and Cody Rhodes and Dustin Runnels and so many other people were so nice. And yeah, so when we went backstage, as we were approaching everyone, uh, a bus of some of the wrestlers were unloading the daily flames. They bring them over from the hotel. And one of the people I noticed was wearing one of my shirts. And I looked, and it was Luther, who, I, who you probably know as well as I do from yes. Frank Culbertson's Portland Wrestling. And Luther is just the best guy. He was the best locker room leader for all the young talent in Portland wrestling in the, the 2000s. I'm so glad that he's he's there and, and right now in, in AEW because I'm sure he's a great leader for all the young talent there too. And he was wearing my shirt. It was just really cool to see him again too. Well, let's talk a little bit about kind of, you know, your wrestling career as well and, you know, what you've done. I met you, like I said, 2004, 2005. You were a commentator with Portland Wrestling. I know you had done some stuff before that, but, you know, for our listeners, you know, what, hey, what, what's been your, you know, travel and what's been your history in the professional wrestling business, uh, Portland Wrestling, the podcast, you know, let's hear a little bit about, you know, what you've contributed over the years. Yeah, you know, I guess it did all kind of start because of, you know, Don Owen, Portland Wrestling. Um, you know, I grew up in a town right in between um, Seattle and Portland. So we got Portland wrestling, and then we also got big-time wrestling, which was the last hour of uh, the Portland Sports Arena wrestling taped for the Seattle market. You know, we grew up watching that. And then with my radio career, I ended up living in Portland, Oregon, I started working at a big radio station there, but I wasn't really on the air yet. And so to try to get on the air, I started working at a small radio station. And that radio station was owned by the building, rather, was owned by the uh, guys who ran Portland Wrestling at that time, the Kafori fan. And they had a wrestling radio show. And long story short, I ended up doing their radio show in Portland. And that's when I started, you know, doing their TV show, announcing, bringing, um, doing commentary with Don Collins and stuff like that. And that's where I met Roddy Piper. And I did some stuff, some projects with Roddy Piper. And he and I were kind of friends. He'd, he'd call me at two in the morning with ideas and stuff. And that was kind of fun. And um, so there was different stuff like that. And then I moved to Seattle and didn't really do too much doing that. And then um, I did some stuff with the torch and then um, Fumi, who I met in Tokyo in 2007 through the observer, you know, I, I you know, back in 2007, you know, the internet wasn't quite as um, multicultural and, you know, easily translated as it is now, so it was hard to find out, you know, what wrestling shows were happening in Tokyo. So I, I emailed Dave Meltzer, and Dave gives me Fumi's contact. And I didn't know who Fumi was. And Fumi's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I'll tell you what, we can just hook up, and we'll go out, and I'll show you some stuff, and we'll go to some shows and everything. And so we met Fumi, and Fumi was driving us around in his SUV. And I'm like, Dave didn't tell me who Fumi was. And I go, so what do you do for a living? And he kind of laughs. And he goes, you know, Hulk Hogan was sitting in that seat where you're at right now, just last week. And that's when I kind of discovered that he was kind of the wrestling guy in Tokyo. And you know, we became good friends. And then when podcasts became so prevalent, you know, Fumi wants to pass down his knowledge. You know, he, he's really good about that. You know, he 
he teaches college courses now for a living in Tokyo. And he's like, you know, kids get their knowledge through podcasts. So I want to do a podcast. Would you host it for me? I'm like, of course. So we, we set it up and started doing the Pacific Rim podcast with Fumi. And then, you know, I did a lot of podcasts with other people and they're fine. Don't get me wrong, but I kind of want to do, wanted to do my own thing where I wasn't having to, you know, coordinate with other people and stuff. So that's where I decided nobody was doing a Don Owen Portland wrestling cast. And I was like, well, there's a hole there. Why don't I do that? So I kind of put it out there that I was looking for a home for that. And Meltzer messaged me and said, why don't you bring the Portland WrestleCast to the Observer? And while you're at it, bring Fumi and the, the Pacific Rim to the Observer. And that's how we started doing stuff for the Observer. And, you know, my role at the Observer kind of grew doing an extra hour on Saturdays of Wrestling Observer Live. And it just kind of grew from there. But, you know, just my fandom started watching Portland wrestling. And then, you know, I, we got cable TV and I got Georgia championship wrestling. And then, you know, USA. And, you know, I just never really stopped watching as, as it grew on cable and, and the internet and the Monday Night Wars. And, you know, just every time it seemed like my wrestling interest waned, you know, something even more exciting. I just never stopped watching wrestling. Now, this is a question I like to ask a lot of people because I know for me it's still kind of it's a lot of fun. Is you know you you grew up you know you're watching Portland wrestling you know you started doing the stuff with the Tories you were help you were working with Culbertson and you know that's when I was there and going to the shows and you know he was bringing guys you know you had Piper there Grappler was there uh, Moondog Ed Moretti was coming through as a fan growing up watching this and now you're actually there, you know, working with these guys. Now you're doing the stuff with the wrestling observer. You know, what's that like? You know, getting to, you know, for you, getting to see the people that, you know, you grew up watching and now you're, you know, a colleague, you know, pretty much. Well, like, you know, I do all these things. Don't get me wrong. And I'm very grateful and, you know, I'll hopefully be able to be able to continue and do it. And when my voice gets better and my lung capacity gets better, I'll be able to do it again on a more regular basis. Um, you know, I remember the first time Piper walked into the radio station building and I was there and um, that was really cool. And then Piper did my Portland wrestling radio show in Portland and that was really cool. And Piper would come on from time to time and whatever he wanted to do it, and he seemed to like me and well, you know, and then we were able to get the coolest thing we did was we had Ric Flair on the phone through my relationship with Mike Mooneyham in Charlotte. And then we brought Piper in the studio and those guys just kind of, you know, kind of BS'd for like a half hour together. And it was, it was awesome that, you know, Piper, you know, really kind of did me a favor by doing that. And then, like I said, he would call me and stuff. I remember one time, you know, Piper produced a card in Salem, Oregon. And, you know, they taped it. And he had hoped to get it on, like, an in-demand pay-per-view. It, it didn't happen for a number of reasons. But he and I commentated a couple of matches for that show to kind of show, you know, in-demand what it would be like as we're recording it in this recording studio, the owner of the studio is is giving Piper advice and Piper's getting pissed. And he's kind of whispering to me like, you know, who is this guy to talk to me? Whenever I would give Piper advice, you know, I had worked in radio and I was working at stars at Piper's level, but radio stars, radio talent who thought they were big stars. So you always treated them 
a certain way. So I think that was one of the reasons that Piper liked me and Piper would listen to me because I would approach it from a certain way and Piper would respect my opinion and know that I wasn't, um, you know, trying to control him or not understanding or respecting his knowledge. And I also, like, for example, when I did the Charlotte Fan Fest, you know, I'm talking to Road Warrior Animal, or I'm talking to Austin Idol, you know, I did a couple of interviews because I got to know Austin Idol a little bit. And I think approaching it that way with a level of respect and professionalism. Another time in Charlotte, uh, Jeannie Clark, the, um, you know, who was Lady Blossom and Chris Adams, uh, you know, foil in world class. And also the, the ex-wife of Stone Cold Steve Austin. She did her first live interview in the United States in 17 years that I got to do with her. And I didn't know I was doing the interview. They just messaged me, hey, Jim, do you want to do this? And so I went down there and, you know, I didn't, a lot of times, as you know, you know, wrestling personalities are themselves dialed up to 11. And Jeannie Clark is not Lady Blossom or not that person you saw in world class. She is the sweetest, nicest uh, woman you'd ever want to meet. Um, and she was so nervous about going on stage. And I'm just like, look, I have got your back. If, if you need me to talk more, I will talk more. You need me to talk, you know, when you get rocking, I'm just going to pull back. And that's kind of my, my strategy is I'm not there to be the star. I'm there to, you know, do my best to make the talent look the best. You know, I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to, you know, like I said, try to lead them along like a match. If I need to lead them along as far as making them look as good as I can. And when they're ready to go, I'm going to pull back and it's their show. You know, Tony Schiavone, when he got comfortable, you know, he was awesome and he didn't need me at all. Um, other people, you know, it just kind of depends. You know, and I always check with talent as far as, is there something that you want me to talk about? Because, you know, I'm not a journalist at that point. I'm there to do a show. And so it's like, you know, is there anything that you don't want to talk about that or anything you want to make sure that we don't, you know, if a, we get a, a question from someone in the audience, we need to move past, you just let me know and we'll do that. Most everybody says, no, there's nothing. Um, you know, one of the people we did was, um, oh God, uh, Mickey, um, Mickey James at Charlotte. And she was like, just don't talk about anything vulgar. And I had forgotten that when she was younger, she did um, some uh, Playboy style pictures. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I can, I'm glad no one brought it up. We didn't talk about it, but I'm glad she mentioned it just in case because I totally forgot about that. So, you know, it's just, it's always good to know just in case there's something that they don't want to talk about, but it's never come up, but I always like to be prepared. Now, after your recovery, you got out of the hospital, uh, you said you went to Jacksonville, AEW, but you know, you were friends on Facebook and all that. Now, so you've been doing work up in the, uh, you know, Washington, Oregon area. You just recently did ring announcing with the fire wrestling, Matt Farmer's group, you know, how's that been being able to kind of, you know, get your feet back in the water and all that and kind of get back into the, into the swing of things. And, you know, how's that been and how the people reacted to you? Oh my God. It's, it's been, it's been so great. Um, everybody has been so nice. Um, you know, Defy is such a professionally, one group just, you know, they do such a great job um, as far as who works for them, 
you know, they use, you know, such a tremendous amount of, you know, great regional and local talent. And it's just amazing. The professionalism and stuff. And one of the cool things when I was talking to Jim Perry, one of the guys who runs Defy, he was like, Jim, one of the great things about you doing it is that there's somebody there that a lot of the talent knows and respects. And I was, wow, that's such a, I don't think that, but that's such a nice thing to hear. And I really appreciate it. And, you know, I try to do the same thing with, with, with the talent that I'm doing backstage interviews with. It's like, if it's somebody like Lance Archer, they don't need me. They're good. You know, I just, you know, you know, you lead them in with a question, they go, maybe they need a follow up and we're good to go. We're off to the races, but maybe if it's a younger talent and it's one of their first times doing interviews or promos, maybe they need a few more questions or maybe they need help remembering that, you know, this is where we're supposed to go and this is where we're supposed to end up. And, you know, so again, it's kind of the same strategy as far as, you know, do they need more help? Do they need less help? But, you know, again, I'm not there to be the star. I'm there to, to do my best to bring out the best, you know, for each talent as much as they need. You know, my philosophy is kind of the Johnny Carson. And anybody who remembers Johnny Carson, it's like when Robin Williams or Burt Reynolds or Don Rickles or whoever it was, would come out, and if they killed, Johnny would let them go. And, you know, the next day, it was always, did you see how great the Johnny Carson show was? And he would get credit no matter how much or how little he did. You know, and if I get credit, if I don't, that's fine, too. I just want the best show possible, and that's what makes me happy. Now, um, before I pass the mic back over to Glenn for the final minutes of the show, uh, I want to go back to your Courage Award. Um, you had a video of your speech, but at the end of your speech, and I think you know where I'm going with this, uh, you had a line that I think kind of really encapsulates, you know, your you know world, you know, your travels and your time in professional wrestling and all that. But, you know, for our listeners, could you kind of go back and give us that final line of your speech from your Courage Award? Yeah, you know, you know, when you were a kid, it's so funny now. When I'm older, I see so many people now that I went to school with that I see that watched Portland wrestling. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I didn't know that. You know, wrestling was always something that I did kind of by myself as far as reading wrestling magazines and watching wrestling and stuff. And, you know, it was I didn't know, and as you know, as a kid, people kind of laughed at you, and it's like, you know it's fake, and you know it's not real, and, you know, you must be stupid because you watch wrestling. And You know, I was always kind of joking that, you know, my mom would come in and see me watch wrestling. You know, are you reading wrestling magazines? I'm like, no, Mom, it's Playboy, I promise. You know, I'm joking about that. My mom didn't care that I watched wrestling. As a matter of fact, she bought and paid for each Christmas. One of my gifts was a subscription to Pro Wrestling Illustrated. But, you know, it's really kind of come full circle that one of the things now that wrestling is kind of out and everybody kind of knows and is kind of up with what, you know, what everything in wrestling is. It's like, you know, wrestlers are on major platforms right now. And, you know, Dave Batista is in Marvel movies and John Cena is in DC movies and The Rock is the biggest movie star in the galaxy. You know, there's wrestlers are everywhere doing everything now with best selling books and music and they're on major T V shows and they draw ratings and you know, it's really come full circle where I can stand up and say, you know, I'm Jim Valley, and I effing love pro wrestling. 
All right, Glenn, I'm passing the mic over to you. Yes, as we wrap up this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now, uh, I'm going to have to extend the invite on behalf of uh, my, both Mike and myself to have you back on in, in the uh, upcoming weeks uh, to come on and, and just maybe chat a little bit about your love of Portland wrestling. Just kind of go back to yeah. where you were as a fan. You know, I want to hear about fan stories because, you know, I'm a fan myself. And I mean, going to my first shows and, and discovering pro wrestling before that was always just some of the great moments of, of, of memories of my life I mean I, I couldn't tell you what I ate last night but I could tell you uh, about a memory that I had watching you know Bruiser Brody attack the high flyers in the AWA you know or, or, or the early days of Hulk Hogan in the WWF or or you know or even AWA I, I mean I'm up here in AWA country uh, my first taste of Hulkamania was when he came in uh, in the early 80s and started to really really build that following so that's the kind of stuff I want to reconnect with you here and have you on just just the, the things that make us passionate about being pro wrestling fans, the things, the seeds that help plant the, 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 the growth, the tree that became our love with pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I'm so lucky to have seen Territory Days. Yeah. And so lucky to be able to read the magazines. I mean, yes. you know, you talk about, you know, I love Hulk Hogan in the AWA and when he first won the WWF title. You know, I kind of, after WrestleMania 1 or so, it's like, I still liked Hulk Hogan, but I wasn't as passionate about mm -hmm. him then. And I remember, you know, one day just by luck, I was homesick from school and the Phil Donahue show, which was a daytime talk yeah, show, yeah, had AWA wrestlers. You can <sighs> still see that show on YouTube. Oh, it's great. And I love it. I love it. And Adrian Adonis too on it. It was fantastic. Yeah, and Hulk Hogan comes on at the very end. So, yeah, I love that era. So, no, totally. We can talk about Portland, talk about the magazines, talk about cable TV. You know, one of the cool things at Cauliflower Alley this past time was getting an award at the same time that Paul Ellering and the Road <laughs> Warriors did because I got cable when, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling turned into world championship wrestling, you know, such an eighties mark, you know, the road warriors, I loved them immediately. And I saw, you know, all of their career pretty Oh, that was cool. Oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, thank so, God, and thank God for YouTube because you know the stuff when I was growing up, I didn't have cable, and I always like read the magazines. I've been able to kind of watch and and almost go take myself back into those moments of just being a fan who is seeing something, even though it's you know thirty five, forty years old, seeing something new with new eyes. It's it, it's something I don't know. A lot of people won't get it, but we do. I mean, old school pro wrestling, the new stuff, we love it too. But when we're able now to thank God that they have had these massive tape collectors who put some of this stuff online so we can actually watch. Well, and it's also kind of funny, you know, seeing things in the magazine, different matches and stuff, mm -hmm. you have in your mind these titanic struggles. Sure. And sometimes they live up to it, and other times you're like, wait, that was it? Because <laughs> uh, it's like, uh, in your mind, they're, you know, they're just... Oh, amazing yeah. and other times they're like you know 13 minute matches that are that are nothing oh man yeah the, the, it's all good the western magazines are definitely table setters for a lot of talent and it's like okay uh i just saw bulldog bra bob brown wrestle now um a little bit different from what I thought about him in the in the magazine. Well, just for an example, but we got to have you on so we can yeah. do some of that stuff, man. I think we'll have absolutely. a lot of fun. Absolutely. All absolutely. right, it's time to wrap up. A big thank you to Mr. Jim Valley and of course to my co-host Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy. I'm Glenn Brockett. This has been Wrestling Memories.